We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast, back again with another mailbag episode, as I promised on our last episode. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam, as always. Sam, how are you doing? I'm ready to have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, well, you sound ready. <laughs> <laughs> we have a ton of questions. Let's just not waste any time. Uh, first question from John Hajek. And by the way, I'm sorry if I mispronounce your names. I'm going to not do the ats this time, just the names. Is Scory Tory an official nickname now? Is the irony working in its favor? He's referring to a nickname that Sam, I believe you have used on Twitter for Tory Craig, and it's Scory Tory. Is that an official nickname in your mind, Sam? Well, so it's a reference to Scary Terry, which mm-hmm. is what Boston fans called Terry Rogier a few years back when he had a good playoff series uh, once, I think. Uh, I think it's hilarious as like an ironic Twitter thing that we use but here's the thing about nicknames i don't think i I think guys don't want to be associated with someone else in their nickname right so we got to think of a better collectively all of us have to put our brains together a little bit and think of a better collective nickname for tory craig that we can call him like that would get to him that he would be okay with or that like you would want k ray to say on a broadcast or something like that (laughs) but if you're just cracking jokes on twitter i I think scory Tori is uh yeah scory Tori almost messed it up i think that's hilarious and i am going to Uh, continue to use it for sure 
Yeah, I disagree with that. We need to come up with a better nickname because I think it's great. And uh, I mean, not- <laughs> everyone everyone wants to carve their own path. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to think of an example, and and honestly, I'm coming up empty. You know, you well, there's the famous Kevin Durant not wanting to be the Slim Reaper one. Yeah, but I at mean, least the Slim Reaper was original. You know, like that was a and, good nickname because it was original. Yeah, and he was wrong. It was great. Uh, he should have just ran with that one. But Scory Tory, how about Scory Tory? When he scores more than ten points, we can call him that. But but not when he scores less than ten points. You know, this is like this is like I can't believe this is the best <laughs> example I could come up with right now. But like with Jalen Lequeux, how we called him Baby Westbrook. There should be a better nickname for Jalen Lequeux than Baby Westbrook. Yeah, he should I mean, be Jalen Lequeux. That I took that from other people, but yeah, I'm not accusing <laughs> you of anything. <laughs> All right, next question. Jonah Lowenstein said, "Do you think Zach Lowe is right that our extra gear for the playoffs might be the full stagger with CP3 and Book? What other adjustments do you think Monty might be saving for the playoffs?" He's referring to a ten things column that Zach Lowe wrote, I believe. And he mentioned some stuff about the Suns, and uh, that was something that he said because there's just actually there was two different articles, interestingly, that touched on this. Ben Golliver, notorious Suns hater, Boo. and Zach Lowe. <laughs> it's funny because I like his analysis outside of when he talks about the Suns. But anyway, Ben Golliver said that he almost said that the Suns' ceiling is lower because there's this perception that Chris Paul just sort of wills the teams to as many wins as possible in the regular season, uh, and that means that the ceiling is already hit earlier in the season, that there's no extra gear. That's the implication there. Whereas someone like Zach Lowe, who actually looked at the minutes that players were playing and analyzed the way they were playing, said something like, if they fully stagger them and basically never play a minute without Chris Paul or Devin Booker, that could be the extra gear that's available to the Suns in the playoffs. And I agree with that, just just from just a general perspective that the rotations tighten and you could eliminate minutes like for Javon Carter, Etwan Moore, Langston Galloway potentially, and you could just play with a, a guard rotation of Chris Paul, Cameron Payne, and Devin Booker. If you want some minutes with Chris Paul and Langston Galloway, that's probably okay too, depending on the matchup. And even Javon Carter could find ways into some playoff rotations. Uh, what do you think, first of all, just about the stagger? Well, in essence, uh, it shows Zach Lowe is a smart guy and Ben Golliver, uh, maybe, maybe not always. Um, I, I think... Here's a stat fresh off the presses from our friend David Nash, who just DM'd me as I told him we were going to be talking about this, that the full stagger when the Suns have used it this year, and there's never a minute where both Paul and Booker are off the floor at the same time. The Suns are undefeated. They're 4-0. Granted, not a huge sample size. And the Suns have been great this year. Um, but I do think it's it's a slight indication that it works. Logically, it works. It helps that campaign is shooting the lights out this season. So he's a guy that you know you can put next to either Paul or Booker and he'll provide effective spacing, which has not always been a thing with Suns point guards of the past. It's also a reason, you know, we've talked about this in the past. I know we can put the trade deadline to bed. The Suns didn't do anything, but this is why we were talking about guys like George Hill or Jeremy Lamb as being interesting a couple of weeks ago because it was, you know, this notion of can you maybe get a slightly better third guard and just stagger these two. I think it's a really smart idea. Um, I, I especially think, you know, Langston Galloway is a guy who's played really well in my opinion when he actually sees the court this year but in the playoffs it's going to be harder to play him because of his lack of defense I think we're seeing that right now as Monty experiments with playing Javon Carter a little bit more instead of Galloway so yeah I mean I'm 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 in general all for the full stagger I think it's a good idea yeah I think the fact that Javon Carter 
is playing minutes right now, just sort of out of the blue, is a sign that Monty wants him to be ready just in case they do have to deploy him in the playoffs because there is a scenario where if Devin Booker picks up an extra foul or two and there's just a guard that's killing us, especially if it's not like the primary scorer that you would just put Mikhail Bridges on, uh, then you might want to put someone like Javon Carter on them for just a few minutes a game just to really get in their head and try to track them up and down the court. Uh, One thing I will say, the Suns, we talked about it, struggled at first with Chris Paul and Devin Booker playing together. The starting lineup now with Jay Crowder is a positive in net rating overall in the course of the season, but in the last, since it's been starting regularly, has been very good. Also, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, since March 1st, when they share the floor together, are plus 82 in their minutes together. So that seems to be working a lot better. And I think this is obvious because the bench was struggling in the month in the month of March. And when the bench struggled before, the Suns tended to lose games because the starters did not quite have it yet. So there's an element of when they do go to full stagger, that's going to limit the amount of time that the two of them are playing together, which hurts a little bit. But the minutes without... Uh, full stagger featuring one of those two guys are still relatively good. So I'm not fully worried uh, about that specifically. Uh, The other part of the question is what other adjustments do you think Monty might be saving for the playoffs? I still think that there's a super small starting, like super small five that they could be saving for the time that there's, if there's a pull up three point shooter, Mm -hmm. Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, that they end up playing in the playoffs and they need to switch every single thing there's a reason you get a guy like Torrey Craig. You you know, you have Jay Crowder, you have Cameron Johnson, you have Mikael Bridges. These guys can all switch. That's the main thing I think they're probably saving. What do you think? I agree with that. I, I still don't know if Monty's the type of coach who would really do that because it's pretty experimental. But um, at least in theory, I think it's a good idea. I think you should have the option. And I think James Jones has set up the roster with that sort of versatility. The only other thing I was going to mention is kind of the inverse of that which is uh, big lineups with Sharch and Aiton together. I feel like that's something that Monty has been flirting with more recently, but still hasn't really gone all out and like given us a lot of it. Um, Sharch and Aiton, they've only played 46 minutes together this season. Uh, it's actually a plus 8.7 net rating, which is pretty good. Again, basically every lineup the Suns are throwing out this year, it feels like is pretty good. Um, but yeah. that Chris, line- Chris Paul does that. Yeah, that lineup in particular, uh, only 46 minutes, not a huge sample size. The offense has actually not been that good. It's taken a hit. But the defensive rating with those two on the court is about 100, which is fantastic. So we'll see. You know, I I think uh, in a series against the Lakers, we would see those two together a lot. In a series against basically anyone else, I'm not sure if we would really see it at all. Um, Definitely potentially use it. We will, as you can imagine, we will get very deep into what potential playoff... uh, adjustments can be available to the Suns as we get closer to the playoffs. In fact, as I say that, I should mention there were a lot of questions about the playoffs in this specific mailbag that uh, we're not going to answer today because we're going to have a lot of time to talk about that. There are still a few playoff questions uh, just sort of in the within this. In fact, our next question is related to that. But I didn't want to get too deep into specific analysis on playoff matchups and playoff and the way the Suns can play because I think that deserves more time and we're going to give that more time later but this is an interesting question from a friend of the pod Zin Varlock uh, OG Redditor here which first round playoff matchup would you be most concerned about Dallas or Portland I thought this was a great question because those are both good teams right now the Suns have played very well against Dallas which makes me feel like we'd be better against Dallas 
Uh, I personally am more afraid of Damian Lillard than I am of Luka Doncic. As you should. So I, yeah, and I think I, that's a fair thing to say. You're a smart man for that. Arguably an MVP candidate. I mean, both of those guys you can make a case for, but I, I'd be more afraid of Portland if they're fully healthy. And also CJ, CJ is making er, and taking more threes than ever before. And if you haven't looked at CJ's stats this season, and I know he's been injured, but outside of that, they're insane. Like he's playing at an all-star level when he plays, and that's just changing his sta- his three-point shots. He increased it by a few shots a game, so a significant increase. And that increased his scoring. It's increased his efficiency. He looks very, very good this season, which is a little scary. The Suns match up well with both of those teams, I think, in that we have better defenders, and that matters a lot in the playoffs, and the the right kind of guys to guard the best players on both of those teams, thanks to the versatility of guys like Mikael Bridges. But I, I personally would say Portland. No doubt it's Portland. I, I mean, here's the funny thing about Portland. They keep defying math. They have a negative net rating, and they are the fifth seed in the Western Conference with like 30 wins and 19 losses or something like that. I don't know their exact record off the top of my head, but what I do know, here's an exact record that I do know because I just saw it posted to Twitter yesterday. In games that go to clutch situations, the game is within five points. You've got five minutes left in the game. Damian Lillard and company are 20 and 7. They are doing this insane thing. Like I, I often think a lot of the reputations that we give players in the clutch are kind of urban myths to an extent, like they're half-truths in the way we talk about certain players in the clutch. But one guy who I think has really earned his reputation is Damian Lillard. Consistently this season, as good as you could possibly be in the fourth quarter um, in terms of willing that team to victory. So they're terrifying, I think, if you play them in a series. Now, granted, the Suns are still favorites. No doubt they're still favorites against Portland and they're favorites against Dallas. Um, but yeah, Portland is just a lot scarier because like if for some reason your offense dries up for a few games in a row, your shots aren't falling. They have so much shot making. Obviously, they can't defend you very well. But if they can defend you just well enough, if you aren't hitting your shots, their shot making could take over yeah. games and, and they could win close games. Portland's the type of team this year where they could win a seven game series against the Suns where they get blown out three times and win four close games. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. And they're just, it's a scary thing to guard. The the pull-up three-pointer, I know you guys are tired of hearing me talk about it. It's the, it's the most valuable shot in the playoffs because, I mean, it's the reason people switch the way they switch now. That's the reason switching defenses are so prominent in the NBA is because guards got so good at shooting that pull-up three-pointer. And, uh, you know, the Suns have, like I said, the Suns have the right personnel to do it. So, it, I'm, I, in a sense, I'm more worried about the bigger teams than the smaller teams that have these like flame throwing guards. Um, which I guess you could say about the Suns are one of those smaller teams that have flame throwing guards as well. Uh, but I think we just have the right kind of defenders. The Suns have built very well as far as playoff defense, and it, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And we'll get more into it, obviously. Let's move on. Nuno Sousa said. Assuming this Lakers team keeps free-falling into the play-in, and you know they're going to win the first play-in because LeBron and AD are definitely getting healthy for that one. And by the way, just editor's note here, they're going to get every call, no matter who they play. Uh, do if we they play, play Steph? Tyshawn? They play Steph? That would be fun. Yeah, yeah, that was my theory here. What if they end up playing the Warriors and the Lakers? But he's basically saying, do we tank? Do we play Tyshawn and Jalen Smith 35 minutes a game on the last week of the regular season? I don't see... 
Monty being that way. I don't no. see Chris Paul being that way. No. I, I just don't see them doing that. No. But, you know, coaches <laughs> have done it before. No, <laughs> so they're not They're not going to yeah. do this. Chris Paul, so Devin Booker, Monty Williams, all of them across the board would not let them do this. They're going to be men. They're going to keep building chemistry until the very last second. They're not going to do any type of load management. And if they have to face the Lakers in the first round, and that would be a bitch. But if they have to do it, they're going to face them head on. Yeah. All right. Um, Tim Shilltown, he has a three-part question. Uh, what was Aiton so mad about last game? Do you have any theories? I have no idea. Can you tell me what even happened? Because yeah. I, yeah. I don't know exactly what happened. I, I have a, I have a theory as as to what it was. There was a foul right that he got taken out of the game when he fouled a guy. That was a, a block. But what Aiton's been doing lately, and the reason he's getting some fouls that he could easily avoid, is when guards are driving on him, he puts his hands down on the guards, basically on their hip or on sort of their midsection. And guards are getting very good at just sort of reaching their hands out, hardened style, into that hand. And even if he pulls it away, it looks like a foul. And the refs are calling that. His best option is to keep his hands up, both his hands, because generally he plays with his left down and his right up or vice versa. And uh, and he got pulled out after that, and I think he was mad because it was a nice block, and I think he tried pulling his hand out of that right before. And what I liked about it is it's the right kind of anger. The Suns were already very much ahead in that game, but he was still mad. He was still frustrated that he wasn't out there playing. It's the right kind of anger. And what he's referring to, to, to those who don't know, the, the reporters who were at the game did report that he was pretty pissed off after that and slamming a, a, the seat next to him and stuff like that, angry. Um, I, I like it. So that's my theory. Me too. I, I, I like mean, too. I, I didn't don't. And again, I missed it like on the actual broadcast. I didn't see any reports of him sulking for a long time afterwards. So yeah. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Um, so many people, question. you know, so many people. Sorry, I know we have a lot of questions to answer. So many people mm-hmm. have been begging the guy to yeah. be a little bit more emotional. So I don't really think you can knock him for that. Yeah, I did tweet a clip of that foul. Um, if if the, I mean, I'm sure you guys know this has just been happening to him lately. It's just an unfortunate way to get fouls. Uh, you know, I was watching Bam play when the Suns are playing uh, against the Heat, and Bam never has his hands down like that on drives, and and that's just what Aiton has to learn. And I think he will over time. Actually, I think he was a little bit better at it last season. So there's probably just a little bit of a mental block there where he makes that mistake with just because it's such a split second decision that he's frustrated with as well. Uh, what kind of players should the Suns draft next summer? I'm not ready to talk about that. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, let's skip that. Sorry, we will get into that, Tim Schul. We, wait, wait. We'll there was another. People. There was another part there. Oh no, there wasn't. The, what do you think? There's the, a third part. What do you think yeah. of the Valley Court? Love it. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I saw yeah. it in person when I was there. It's great. It's fantastic. All right, uh, Yemi Ajibola said, That's "Why does Monty?" Not right. Yeah. Sorry, everyone, if I mispronounce. Why does Monty have an aversion to playing Langston Galloway? Um, this is all. I mean, I'm going to give you the runway here. You also introduced <laughs> a new Langston's Law uh, rule with Langston Galloway. That's right. You love Langston. I love Langston too. But I know you. You. You've been ranting about. I this. am. What do you think the Lang? You like Langston. I am the Langstan. So, uh, I, and I saw my stat on Reddit the day after. The Suns are uh, 18 and four when Langston Galloway takes to Twitter and tweets out another day to be great, which he always does in the morning. Presumably some sort of motivational. We've talked about it before. Um, they're 18 and four when he tweets that. And he even acknowledged it. Mm-hmm. You you uh, tagged I, him. I baited him, yeah. You baited him, and he didn't reply to it, but he did like it. So yeah. he knows He knows the extent He's of his powers power. now. He knows he He's has got the power. The power. 
Uh, it's even more potent than Bridges Law, by the way. If you want a Bridges Law update, the official score on Bridges Law, 16 and 4. The Suns are 16 and 4 with Bridges Law. They're 18 and 4 with Langston's Law. Someone asked me what happens when both happen at the same time. I didn't check. I'll check eventually. Why does uh, Why does Langston not play as much as he should? It's a, it's a defense thing. You know, I think Monty likes Javon. And we talked about this five minutes ago. <laughs> I think Monty likes the idea yeah. of having... He's testing him out. He's testing them out, A, but also we saw back in the bubble, like, if you just wanted four minutes of full-court press, Campaign and Javon Carter together was a perfect formula for that, and Langston mm-hmm. just, he, he's not effective at doing that. That's really, that's it's, really all it is. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think, not, I, don't, I don't think Javon deserves the ninth man spot in the rotation going into the playoffs. I would much rather have Langston be playing those minutes, personally. I think it, the luxury of having both of those guys is really great. Because you might need one or the other at I like, some point. <laughs> I like how we just don't talk about each one more anymore, though. Well, yeah. I mean, each one more really only plays if one of the other guards is out, it's, it seems like. And that's nice to have, too, because he's a veteran and, and he, he tends to make good decisions with the ball. But uh, at this point, you got to see what you... Javon, I hate to say this, he's been weirdly bad on offense. He was really good in the bubble. He just can't his threes. If yeah, he, part if of he, it was he hit so many threes in the bubble, but also he's he doesn't look quite. He's never been a great playmaker, but like there's nothing now. Like he's not even trying to to penetrate or pass out to three point shots or something like that. There's just nothing there, uh, so it's a bit of a struggle with him. But I st- I still think I like it. The fact that the Suns can win when they're trying out different guys like this is pretty nice. And I, I you know unless we hear that Langston has like a sore ankle or something, and that's why Javon's playing. I have a feeling it's more related to. Monty just wants to see what what it's like with Javon. Javon hasn't gotten a chance, and he wants to give him a chance to see if there's something there yeah. before the playoffs start. Yeah. You know what I say about the regular season? It's difficult to judge coaches too much on the regular season on a game-to-game basis because there are reasons that they try things in different games that are unrelated to just winning that single game. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, we need to, in a normal season, the Suns would be on almost a 60-win pace now. And I think it's tempting. We haven't won games in so long to, to chase all the accolades and, and whatever. Chase the best possible record. Obviously, you try to win every game. But the regular season is for experimentation. The best teams yeah. use it to experiment to a certain extent. We should be seeing different things throughout the year. And as long as you're not seeing colossal detrimental effects from that, it's a positive thing. Yeah, I have a feeling that once the playoff starts, if these guys even get minutes, we talked about the full stagger. Lengs is probably in the lead right now unless Javon figures out his shot. If Javon is shooting 40% from three, it's tough to say that he doesn't deserve more time because he does a lot. And Langston was doing more with the ball too. So I think Langston, there's, there's, it's just interesting. Yeah. Uh, Menino Neymar said, send a shout out to your Brazilian fans. It's not a question, but I want to say <laughs> maybe my favorite response. <laughs> you know, It's just so cool to think about people in brazil listening to us so shout out to you brazilian fans i appreciate you guys listening it's really cool that we have people all over the world who listen to this podcast a a rare sincere moment i appreciate you guys thank you for listening you give them a shout out too sam yes of course (laughs) i'm not ignoring (laughs) you guys shout out to our brazilian fans shout out to anyone who listens anywhere all over the world you guys would be surprised to know that like only a slight majority of our listeners are actually in the U.S. And of the listeners in the U.S., well, it's more than a slight majority, but it's a solid majority. But there are a lot of people who listen internationally from all sorts of countries. We posted the map uh, on Twitter before 
Um, the other thing that I think is surprising, though, for the Americans is that it not even a majority of Americans actually listen, I think, from inside of the state of Arizona. There are so yeah. many people in states all over this country who are listening. Uh, you know, myself included. Obviously, I'm not a Phoenix native. So, um, yeah. yeah, this shit goes yeah. worldwide. It's pretty cool. Shout out Brazil. Shout, Shout out, out Brazil. Australia, Australia too, because uh, Australia is our number two. Co- There's a lot of people. Who Australians hold Australia, it down, so. man. Shout they hold it Australia. down. Shout out New Zealand. That's a good one too. All right, Mike Notham said. You can add one former Sun to this current roster for the playoffs. Who do you add, and do they make the Suns the favorite to win it all? I love, love, love these types of questions. Are we interpreting this as an active player who's a former Sun? No. He did clarify, and he said... Well, that's stupid, because that's what any, I prepared anyone for. <laughs> Damn <laughs> you, Mike Notham. <laughs> I mean, the, uh, there's one obvious current player that I, I would have assumed that you would have picked, but who did you pick as a current player? And then I have a pick for the others. I picked Rashawn Holmes. Oh, it's not Dragic. No. I'm surprised. I mean, you could I love you, that. you could pick Dragic. But I'm going to be real. I think Campaign can hold his weight like reasonably well to what I mean, he's not Dragic, but he can he can do things. And I trust yeah, him Dragic, to do things. Dragic had a run that basically Man, built their team to the finals. <laughs> let me tell you, Campaign I know this isn't a conversation about campaign, but that guy, we just put out a video on our YouTube channel. Go watch the damn video. But the guy is good at shooting this year, and I wish he would look for his own shot a little bit more. Because campaign above anyone else on this roster, I feel like, is that guy who's going to average seven points per game in the playoffs. But he's going to have one game. There's gonna, And I don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but he's going to have the campaign game, just like Goran yeah. Dragic did. There's going to be a 25-point campaign game where he takes over for like a quarter and prevents Chris Paul from coming back in the game for a little while everyone's going nuts on Twitter online everyone's going nuts on the bench for him mm-hmm. I feel like that's coming out of campaign yeah he's gonna have a, a whole, similar game. even a whole series where he averages 20 points a game wouldn't surprise me <laughs> uh, it knows, really man. Wouldn't. but but my point he needs to look for a shot a little bit more he's okay. a great driver Rashawn Holmes though <laughs> uh, sorry Rashawn Holmes what, what were we talking about? Oh, the question. Um, Rashawn Would Holmes, that make the Suns a favorite? I don't think so. Make him a favorite? No, but I don't think Dragic no. makes him a favorite either. Would Rashawn, so Holmes, either. Rashawn Holmes is just the ideal guy to inject energy into the game if Aiton is not entirely you know, bringing the energy that you need to see. Or if you're playing the Lakers where you just you would rather have a guy like Holmes in the backup spot potentially than Sharch. Rashawn Holmes would be great. I miss that dude so much. You know, <laughs> Ricky Rubio would be great too. Yeah, that's actually a really great one. Uh, he would be perfect, basically. Um, I uh, did it the way he asked. <laughs> so, Wouldn't uh, you just pick, was, like, Barkley or something? Okay, like, I took the MVPs out. Okay, all right, fine. That's, why I, didn't, that's why I didn't assume that that's what the question was, because well, I was here, like, okay, I'd add Charles think, Barkley, <laughs> you know? I think, like, Barkley obviously fixes the rebounding, but, like, I mean, Barkley would be perfect. I'm not going to try to argue <laughs> against it. But there's like an element of, well, that doesn't fit modern basketball in any way. You know, Charles Barkley. So there's there's just, just a massive learning curve. If there Charles Barkley make... grew up as a modern player, co- coaches, yeah, he'd be perfect. coaches would force him to shoot threes. Yeah, I don't care what he says about it. Like he well, wouldn't, I mean, he he wouldn't complain. He shot over 2,000, which was a lot back then. Yeah, and then he has the audacity to go on TV and complain about analytics. It's like, dude, <laughs> you invented analytics. Yeah. Your true uh, shooting percentage is like the best of all time. Better than Michael Jordan's. Him. 
right he'd automatically be the starting power forward and uh he'd fix the rebounding problem and he'd be uh a, an insane pick and roll partner with chris paul obviously there's the other one of prime steve nash prime steve nash would honestly force chris paul to the bench and then chris paul would be the sixth man in that scenario so ridiculous. which is which is kind of fascinating too so i threw both of those guys out because it's too weird amari stonemeyer made in my mind was a pretty fascinating one because all those bounce passes that the suns can no longer pass would be caught and uh he'd be dunking every play it, it feels like he'd easily average 28 points on this team and everyone else's points would go down a little bit but a worthy one and i think there's a defensive issue there so the guy i picked was sean marion it's just a perfect fit Ugh. uh yeah he fixes the rebounding problem he's a good three-point shooter he's able to play he's draymond like we it basically imagine, be putting prime draymond on this team the ima- defense would be insane it'd be it'd be beautiful imagine mikhail bridges on the perimeter sean marion protecting him back just like commanding yeah. the defense from all sides yeah beautiful dude it, it you know like a small ball lineup of sean. <laughs> it's just crazy to sean think about. marion would Chris, be so Chris paul devin booker uh mikhail bridges jay crowder sean marion a uh, small five Whew. he would How be so that? much more appreciated in today's nba yeah ahead of his time awesome ahead of his time also the rebounding is i just want to just he fixes that problem in such a fascinating way because he's not really big it's just he's such a great leaper and has such good hands he's able to get his hands on balls uh pretty easily when they're bouncing off uh, and and it's just a fun one to picture so i picked him obviously i think you can make a case for chris paul or, i'm sorry uh steve nash is probably a good one and and charles barkley but yeah sean marion's the guy i picked all right mr 999 az said why do you think that the suns are getting no respect from the media in regards to us being a contender but utah and denver are utah and denver have no perimeter defense to stop cp3 and booker well we have perimeter defense to stop mitchell or murray um that second point is is kind of an interesting one and i do kind of agree with it i think denver's denver and utah both a good defensive good defensive teams right now maybe not great uh, but the, the Suns do have better sort of point of attack defenders that they can throw out there. But I just want to say, I think the Suns are getting pretty good respect from the media right now. I I don't know. I mean, Zach Lowe talked about them. Stephen A. Smith talked about them. You know, there was a Ben Golliver piece in the Washington Post. Uh, Sports Illustrated recently posted about them. ESPN had a cover story about Devin Booker. Chris Paul's been all over the place, including with Stephen A. Smith on mm-hmm. ESPN. This, uh, you know, this is as good. This, frankly, this is as good as it gets if you're not L.A. Like we yeah. can't really be asking for or New York who might miss the playoffs now but are getting Jesus Christ how much uh, media attention um, this to me was the easiest question to answer there's like a solid segment of the media a third to a half maybe more who don't pay attention to you until you're actually in the playoffs and they saw Denver in the Western Conference Finals last year they've seen Utah in the playoffs yeah. at least to the second round for years win games in the playoffs it's not a fair argument. We've talked about this before. Um, it, it's not fair on these guys because you as fans, you watch every game, you're there every week, and you want to just kind of fast forward ahead to the playoffs and win games so you get some respect already. But the truth is you're not going to get any respect until you win games in the playoffs. That's why Milwaukee... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is getting no respect this year? Because Milwaukee has been so damn good again after tinkering with their lineup, but everyone just expects them to choke again that they need to prove it to the media in the playoffs because they're Milwaukee. That's like Phoenix or a similar... Phoenix is a bigger market, but you know what I mean. There are only a few big markets in the NBA. Right. Win right. games in the playoffs, respect will come. It is that simple. Yeah. When people in the media talk about big markets, they're just talking about New York and L.A., really. Yeah, and maybe, <laughs> you know, Chicago and, and sometimes Chicago maybe, Miami. maybe Philadelphia. Maybe Miami is Miami, not a big it. market, but it's an appealing market, so it's kind of in a yeah. tier by itself. Yeah. yeah, it's got beaches and models. Like, NBA players will always like that. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Um, Nicholas Dick said, do you consider this <coughs> Suns team an underdog story? And I, I thought about this, and I thought it was a really interesting question. And I think Chris Paul takes that all away, right? Like, just having Chris Paul makes you not an underdog, I guess. No. You know, like, with without him, the Suns are sort of a team that... And I think it's funny when people talk about the Suns, they're like, wow, Chris Paul really dramatically changed this team. They're so much better this year, yada, yada, yada. Nobody ever mentions that they had the same record as the Portland Trailblazers. And people talked about the Trailblazers completely differently coming into the season. Yes, the Trailblazers were missing guys for a lot of the season, but so were the Suns. Like, it was a similar scenario last season where guys were missing that could have made the Suns win more games, and they had the same record until Portland played an extra game, and that's what got them into the playoffs. Uh, but, yeah, I just think that they're not covered that way because they have Chris Paul, uh, and they probably would be covered. Like, if it was Ricky Rubio on this team and they had the same record, the, the story about them would be completely different. I think with Chris Paul on the team... The story about them think- would be some sort of Moneyball-esque... How are they? How are they doing this? You know. Yeah, the underdogs. They'd be. They'd be considered. But underdogs. I do think they're underdogs still. Like, I, I, yeah, th- I think I that's agree. a fair label. When you go into the season and basically everyone is ranking you somewhere between tenth to like eighteenth in power rankings, which is like the scale of where we saw various people in the media put the Suns, and now you're third or second. I don't even remember where they are in, in total record, but they're somewhere around there. Then yeah, you're an underdog. Yeah, you weren't expected to be here, but you're here. 
Yeah, I I think that they that they are underdogs in a lot of ways, especially because even with Chris Paul, people thought they were going to be worse than this. I just don't think that people will cover them that way, unless they make it to the Western Conference Finals or something like that. Then maybe, maybe that or the finals. I mean, look, if they um, play the Jazz or the Nuggets, they're not going to be covered as an underdog. If they play the Lakers yeah. or the Clippers, they will be. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. All right, who would? This is from Grat one two zero three. He said, "Who would win in a fight? One Mikael Bridges size." Sun or ten sun-sized Mikhail Bridgeses. Uh, you go first. Well, ten sun-sized Mikhail Bridgeses. I imagine that the weight of them will sort of collapse in on themselves, and it would create some sort of black hole. I I don't know. Um, My astronomy <laughs> knowledge is fairly limited. I will say though, I think one Mikhail Bridges-sized sun would be one Mikhail Bridges size. I'm assuming that to be like the diameter, not the mass. <laughs> so I think something that small in dia- diameter but as a star would be like one of the densest objects in the known universe. That's true. So too. I think that would be a kind of big deal. But so I'm I'm two, not two sure. Two black holes basically probably. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It would be like when two black holes combine. They would just become one giant black hole, I think. Which is kind of how Mikhail Bridges plays defense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Damon, our friend Damon said, shout out to Damon. Uh, you should follow him. Um, he does the work, at, so we don't have to. I, yeah, he does. <laughs> at I am Damon Allred. After the Gonzaga UCLA thriller, do you guys regret not being college basketball guys? This one's easy for me. No, not at all. I watched that game, and I'm not a college basketball guy, so I get the best of both worlds. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, I I just I'm so bad at scouting. Like, here's the thing that I will give draft guys credit for: the good ones. The, the, the draft guys who put in the work and then are willing to admit when they're wrong, which is most draft guys, but it's not all of them, that what those guys do... It's the do, good ones. Huh? It's the good ones. It's the good the ones. ones. That are willing, yeah. Hashtag not all draft guys. It's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. They're good at what they do. Here's the hardest thing to me about scouting, because I was watching a couple games in the tournament. Not a lot, because college basketball, it's just like, I, I, I see it as inferior basketball. But the thing that really grinds my gears about college basketball is when you're watching the NBA, like when I watch the NBA, every summer I'm thinking about free agents and I'm going and I'm watching film of various guys and there's just a consistency from guy to guy that you watch in the systems in which they play in. It's like every coach in the NBA falls kind of under the same tree of a general range of ideas that they're pulling from. And there are various branches and and schemes here and there and philosophies, but it's kind of all coming from the same place. And then you get down to college and it's just totally gimmicky with the types of shit that you see all the time. And it feels like one school could be doing something just completely off the walls crazy compared to what another school is doing. And it makes it really hard. Here's what it, here's what it does is why the job of scouts is so hard. It's because it's so hard to distinguish between the prospects who can't and between the prospects who aren't allowed to do something. I think that's the hardest part about scouting is... Devin Booker being the perfect example. A guy who wasn't allowed to dribble in college. He was just a spot-up shooter. We know now Everyone how... Everyone was wrong about him. <laughs> we know now how stupid that was. Right, but I'm not saying... That's not the, <laughs> that's not the fault of the draft evaluators if he no, just but it wasn't... but it is funny. It is funny. It is funny. But it's not the fault of the draft evaluators if he just wasn't allowed to dribble and then, poof, he's... Oh, look, he's actually the best pick-and-roll scorer in the NBA. You know, it's kind of miraculous how that's right. And that sort of stuff, it happens in the NBA sometimes. Jeremy Grant, biggest example of it this year. We thought he couldn't create for himself in Denver. 
Turns out he can. He's not like a superstar now with Detroit, but he's like a good player in Detroit. But it happens so much less frequently than it does in college that it's just like when it comes to draft scouting, I've just given up. Like I just let guys like Damon who asked his question here, yeah. he can he can try and make sense of all the variance and the mess in that because I could sink a thousand hours into that and feel like I'm not any closer than where I was when I started. Yeah. Uh, that's why we are not draft guys. That's why, <laughs> that's why we're uh, not draft guys. But we will bring on... Draft guys, yeah, for plenty of episodes we'll before the draft. Point. Sure, assuming we they're going to keep their pick and all that. But um, the reality of college basketball is it can be very, very fun, very, very fun. But most of the time, it's like watching the 2017 Suns play the 2018 Suns with a 30 second shot clock, and it's brutal, <laughs> and it's just not that fun. But Mike, would Gonzaga beat the Timberwolves? <laughs> No, I just think it's funny because like someone asks that question every year. It's always ridiculous. Um, All right, another another friend. Oh no, let's actually. I'm skipping one here. I'm going to go back to this. Oh. Um, where were we? Okay, impressed. Suns fan says, if Sack falls out of the playoff race, uh, what would be some fun is Hassan Whiteside lineups. Basically, he's saying Whiteside. If Whiteside gets bought out, I guess is the is the, is the uh, basis of this question. Would you want Whiteside? That's an easy no for me. He's just not the right kind of culture guy for this team, uh, and I'd be very, 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 very surprised if they got him. Whiteside is one of those guys where his block numbers do not match up with his on court numbers. His on court numbers usually say the defense is much worse with him on the court than say his block numbers. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm a no on Whiteside. What do you think? There are very few guys in the NBA who I think it's actually fair to say this is an empty stats player. Yeah. Hassan Whiteside is one of those guys. I hate to say it, yeah. but he, he just is. He swallows up rebounds and he blocks shots. It's not actually making your team better. Yeah. If it the was... The rebounds is... Then he, a lot of articles... It, Go ahead. If it made a difference, then like Portland would rather have him than keeping Ennis Cantor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. And rebounds are funny because rebounds are not valuable stats at all if you're trying to figure out what players are good and what players are not. Bad players get rebounds all the time. Uh, Cody Miner said, what does campaign's contract offers look like this off season? I'm really not sure. This like, is a really They're going to have a big one. difference on what that is. So I, I, I'm really not sure. I'm glad he asked this question, though, because I think this is fascinating. And, and look, we're not ready for the complete discussion here because we need to see how Cam plays in the playoffs. In general, I think there's a massive market inefficiency that's really fascinating with the NBA when you look at backup point guards specifically. And I think the reason that is is just for the simple fact that there are so many more point guards than there are big men. Like If you think about it, if you're a big man, you just want to scrape any big man who can just be a body, absorb fouls, get rebounds or whatever for 10 or 15 minutes per game. You have a limited pool of Americans or international players in the world who are actually like six foot ten and above. Whereas there are so many guys who are 6'1", 6'2", can play point guard and dribble a basketball. It feels like almost every backup point guard in the NBA is either making very little money or is on a rookie contract. And the select few who actually do make decent money did so based on the reputation of like they did something in the playoffs, you know, which is why the playoffs are going to be so important for Cam. Like, let me let me float this your way. Seth Curry. I don't think Cam is on the level of Seth Curry exactly right now, but like Seth Curry makes eight million dollars a year. He just signed an extension yeah. for about that amount of money. Does that feel like it's possible? 
Yeah, it's it's funny because I was going to ask you, assuming the Suns are a non-taxpaying team next season, which they actually could be a taxpaying team depending on how the offseason goes, would the Suns have to use their MLE to sign? They'll still have an MLE, which is a, basically an exception that the Suns can use up to like almost $10 million. It's what Jay Crowder signed for. Uh, would they have to use that to sign someone like campaign? And I could see that happening. The ideal scenario is that they don't give them the full MLE and they have some space to play with in there, like something like you just said. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if it had to go up to that much. But but you bring up a good point that the market might not be there for him. You know, just because everyone kind of has that backup guy. There's a lot of them. Like, he's not going to start. I'd be very surprised if a team wanted him to start next season. Unless it's like... Right. And that's the thing is Cam has been Cam has been so good, but he's not going to start. Yeah, I can and I can think of so many examples of centers who just like played a good playoff series and now they're making fifteen million dollars or wings. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't feel like that happens to point guards. Yeah, that's a great point. Maybe that happened to like Matthew Delvadova several years back, and then teams realized (laughs) to never do it again. You know? Yeah, but what I think his contract started at like twelve million or something like that. I don't think it was still. I don't know. I don't think it was a lot. There'd have to be a weird scenario like Tyler Johnson where a team is trying to screw another team over, which can't really happen with campaign because he's not in that type of free agency. But yeah, I think, you know, I think end of the day, what I'll settle on here, likely range for cam right now. I feel like it's probably around four or five million a year, but -hmm. I feel like he could get as high as eight or 10, depending on how well he plays in the playoffs. All right. Another friend of the podcast, do rag Wallace at do rag hoops. Check out his YouTube channel. Uh, what has been your favorite thing about this season so far? This was actually kind of a hard question for me to answer. Uh, you mean winning basketball games wasn't a sufficient answer after what it's we've just, uh, done? It's a little. I was trying to think beyond the obvious because my first thought was Chris Paul. It's just Chris Paul. Watching Chris Paul on a day-to-day basis has been fascinating and fun. But what do you think? Yeah, it's, my answer was Chris Paul. <laughs> uh, there was something fun. about it there was something about it that i didn't like the way you said it yeah the obvious answer is chris paul it's I, just not, i mean well it's that is it's in a you're in right a, in you're a good right. way right it's nice to have something as yeah. obvious as that i mean i think suns fans still take chris paul for granted can i just say that yeah. like yeah no there's something about the emotional connection that just isn't there they haven't developed that with him over time i think chris paul is playing right now not like MVP Steve Nash he's not 31 year old Steve Nash but the 35 year old Steve Nash who still played at a really high level and like led the Suns to the Western Conference Finals Chris Paul is just that good right now and I feel like we don't we don't necessarily recognize it maybe we do mostly as a fan base but I don't know I kind of feel like we don't I'll be a little bit more abstract with another answer on this Uh, being able to sort of analyze a good team that's as versatile as the Suns in that like our last episode where we talked about like switching defense and you're really, really getting into the nitty gritty of a good team, uh, which you really can't do with a team that's bad because the versatility of a team that's bad is just so limited uh, has been really fun to me. And it is kind of odd that sometimes when I, when I do talk about it on Twitter, it's probably the least engagement that I get (laughs) when I talk about the really nitty gritty stuff, but that's actually the most, fun for me personally um so the an episode like last week researching for that and really trying to think of interesting things for that episode is is my favorite thing to do so that that part is is pretty fun for me too anything else on that one no let's let's keep it keep it moving all right sam hollum said 
curious to hear your thoughts on Tyshawn Alexander. Is he a PG or SG point guard or shooting guard? Or does he have a chance to earn a role on the team in the next couple of years? Uh, I don't have a lot of thoughts on him. I just, we haven't really seen enough. Do you, I know you've thought probably a little more about him than I have. Do you have anything there? Yeah, I, he's a shooting guard. I think that's pretty clear. I think my understanding of the idea behind Tyshawn Alexander of what you can grow him into is he kind of fills the same skill set as Javon Carter, but his body sort of more naturally resembles a shooting guard. So you feel better about playing him on twos because he's got a few extra inches or a couple extra inches of height, a couple extra inches of wingspan, can fill out his frame a little bit more. But he brings the defensive tenacity and the and the shooting and stuff like that. Uh, so to that end, I think he's definitely a guy that you should try to develop. I, I wish that the Suns had a G League program as of next year that they could send him to, but they do not. Yeah. So they might have to make a difficult decision um, for him at some point. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there. I'm sure there are plenty of teams that would love to like take him in and kind of just actually develop him if the Suns aren't willing to. Yeah, that'd be interesting. You know, like um, Ty Jerome's playing well with the Thunder this year. Yeah, like mm-hmm. that could happen with Tyshawn next year if the Suns continue to just not give him any minutes and they don't want to empty invest stats. in the G League. What do you mean empty em- stats? Empty stats. He's he doesn't have to be. The a Thunder s- are bad. Who? Ca- no, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just kidding. Uh, Tyshawn, it was fun. You to got see me Tyshawn. heated for a sec. I thought we were about to have an empty stats debate about Ty Jerome. <laughs> it was fun to see Tyshawn Alexander score in that last blowout game against OKC. So shout out to Tyshawn. He seems like a good kid and everyone seems to like him. The bench went crazy when he scored. This next question I have some significant thoughts on. Um, It's from K-Law. He said, who is our next point guard after Chris Paul? It could be as easy as saying campaign if he continues to develop. But beyond that, Actually, I'll let you answer what if you have thoughts on that. Who the next point guard is after Chris Paul? Because I have more thoughts, sort of expanding on that. I want to hear your thoughts because what, <laughs> what I did instead of researching names for this question, I looked up John Stockton stats to <laughs> see that John Stockton started on a playoff Jazz team at the age of forty. Hmm. So maybe Chris Paul does that. Maybe we, you know, I think that's a conversation we've had in the past where it's like, hey, maybe Chris Paul is not just a a two-year rental. Maybe he actually can do this for three or four years. So few guys can actually sustain their bodies into their late 30s or even early 40s to still be starting caliber players. Maybe Chris Paul with his veganism, though, is the exception. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts of like who we could actually go get because if he can't, that's going to be a big, it's going to be a big problem. Chris Paul will sign at his best opportunity to win a title when he's a free agent i'm just gonna say that right now if the Suns are that he'll resign with the Suns. if they're not i think he will be willing to leave and no love lost i think at that point for me depending on how it goes um the biggest issue the Suns are going to look at going forward the number one issue will be finding another player who can play make and create points for himself and for others that has the kind of gravity as Devin Booker. The only way to be good at the highest level in the NBA is to have multiple guys like that. We saw what the Suns could be with just one, with Devin Booker. And and in fact, last season was probably the peak of as good as a team like that could be. And we saw the difference that having Chris Paul made to this team. So what the Suns are facing at some point, whether or not they keep Chris Paul will be a scenario where, say, Chris Paul does start dropping off at some point or he just becomes more of a John Stockton that's just kind of creating for other guys in a way that's not quite 
the same way that he is right now. They're going to look at a scenario where they need to find another guy like that. They need to essentially find another all-star to pair with Devin Booker because otherwise the Suns will hit a peak. And and look, I know some people will say maybe it's going to be Aiden. Maybe it's going to be Mikael Bridges. I'll be honest. I don't think it is. I don't think it's going to be either of those guys. I think those guys are both the kind of guys that can make a lot of money and be very good third pieces or fourth pieces on good teams. But I would be very surprised if either one of those guys were capable of being well, a second piece on a team that's capable of making it to the finals. The only, that's the way I want to look at this. The only caveat I'll say is I think both of those guys are good enough to maybe be all-stars. Like I think maybe Mikhail Bridges has a ceiling of like a Chris Middleton and maybe DeAndre Ayton looks something like Rudy Gobert. Right. But those are different types of all stars from the type of all star we're talking about. We're talking about another self creator where when Devin Booker is off the floor, you don't have to worry about who's going to initiate the offense. Like, you know, if the Jazz ha- were it's asking. It's not even just that. When he's on the floor, too. Yeah. Having yeah, yeah, a yeah, second sure. guy so that the defense, it doesn't, it, it becomes very easy. Right. I when, just, just want to yeah. point it out. Like, I think DeAndre Ayton could be a top 15 most impactful player in the NBA. But the way his development's going, I'm not very high on his ability to be a creator in the way that we're yeah. asking. So, so yeah, you definitely need to bring in outside help uh, for that. Yeah. So this is a conversation that I'm not going to have right now, but it's a conversation <laughs> that is on the, on the, on the burners, right? It's ready to have at, at some point, we're going to have to have that conversation because it's the reality of the NBA right now. And I know there's a lot of people that are saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. Look at this team. Look at that team. Look at this team. Look at that team. Well, look at all the teams that won the NBA finals. Just look at those ones alone. They all had multiple high, 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 high level offensive players. And that's what you need. They're the hardest to find, and they're the most important pieces in the NBA. And you need more than one, and that's the reality of it. If you can have four, like the Warriors, then you'll be even better. Um, but you know, that's a conversation. The Suns are gonna, and I know James Jones knows it because I think he knows how to win a title, and that's something that he's probably gonna be looking at at some point in the future. Um, all right, Yeezy said, "Yeezy, yeah, right. we got we got a question from, <laughs> from Kanye." Thanks West. for joining the show. Uh, what the heck is going on with Cam? And I assume he meant Johnson. And uh, and uh, my first thought is nothing. I don't think I looked at his stats since uh, since he came back from COVID. By the way, he had COVID, so keep that in mind. He's shooting thirty nine percent from three, actually better than he was previous. And uh, to me, he looks pretty good. I think he uh, looks. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I think he looks fine. He just hasn't like popped in a way that I guess some Suns fans want him to. Actually, I'm looking yeah. at his stats right now. He's like basically exactly what he was last year on a per yeah. game like yeah pretty much pretty much exactly across the board yeah. and i think this was the worry with cam johnson is it's like you draft a 23 year old guy i still think he can get better and i still think he's a very underrated defender um but it's like hey maybe this is a guy who doesn't have a super high ceiling and he's just going to be a role player for 10 years and that's fine you got him with the what was it the 11th pick that would be fair market value for the 11th pick if he's mm-hmm. that yeah, I mean, I kind of wish that he had the same sort of conscious that uh, conscience that uh, Jay Crowder has, yeah. uh, where he would just like launch it no matter what. But I think I, I I am okay with the sort of catch and go game that he's trying to develop. So because that could ultimately turn him into a better player down the line. There are just times where, yeah, maybe he goes down to thirty seven percent from three, but he's shooting seven eight of them a game. That I would prefer that. Because uh, I think it would make a bigger difference for the rest of the guys on the floor, like DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, specifically the guys who score at the rim a lot. Um, but I'm okay with the catch and catch and go stuff. You know, I, I am a little bit tired of every time he hits a mid range shot. Uh, we have to hear 
uh, EJ do his rant on mid-range shots. You know, oh, I love to see that. Oh, why don't more guys do that? Oh, mid-range shots, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, to an extent, he's kind of right at some some parts of it and just wrong about a lot of it. So, um, all right. Bastion Q said, the Nets are the obvious villain of the league, but you, do you think the Suns will be more portrayed as a hero or villain or anti-hero? I thought this is a pretty fascinating question. Um, what do you think? Like if they went against the Nets or just in general? I think once they get to the playoffs, you know, there yeah. is sort of narratives that build. I, I think they're an underdog who's going to be, yeah. they're going to be a hero. People are going to be rooting for the Suns. Monty Williams yeah. is a very easy guy to root for. Devin yeah. Booker in his first playoff series, Chris Paul. I, I think yeah. until the Suns win a ring, they're a hero. And as soon as you win that yeah. first ring, this is what happened to Steph Curry. Everyone loved the Warriors that first year. Not the year that they won 73 games, the, the the first ring, before they were considered unbeatable. And then as soon as they won that ring, everyone hated them. Yeah. So winning turns you into a villain. You almost want to be that want, kind of villain. What'd you say? I would love to be that kind of villain. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. you you do. You, you want, because when you're a hero, frankly, there's a hint of pity in there. Like, that's what it yeah. is. You're easy to root mm-hmm. for because people don't think you're a threat. Yeah. You want to be a villain. I've made a lot of, we've made a lot of friends who cover other teams, uh, whether it be Blue Wire or just across, you know, just the NBA spectrum in general. And a lot of those guys like the Suns. Like, they just kind of like them as the, you know. Because they pity they them. The team. Can, like, can here's, we be honest? Because is. they pity them. I think They say, oh, how nice is it that that team that hasn't been in the playoffs in 10 years, good for them. Yeah, I mean, that's fine with me. I don't really give a shit about that. But I don't give a shit. I'm just saying that's why it happens. Once the Suns make it to the playoffs, there's going to be a, is this Chris Paul's last chance to win a title? Yeah. That's going to be a storyline. And we saw how it went with Steve Nash. People rally around that. People, you know, like, what is what are they going to do? They're going to root for Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant to get, you know, their second and third rings or or LeBron James to get his fifth. Like, that's <laughs> that's a lot more boring than Chris Paul, 35, finding a new team, a young team. And going for it one last time to really try to win that elusive yeah. title that he has not yet gotten. And I think people are going to rally around Reporters that. Reporters are going to love it. They're going to be yeah. in there if the Suns, you know, lose a hard-fought Western Conference series to the Lakers. The reporters are going to be right there trying to bottle up Chris Paul's tears uh, in the aftermath and sell them on the black market afterwards. They're going to they're gonna eat that up. Yeah. Uh, Brady Snow said, in regards to the rotation, is there anything that you think the Suns need to change to be a better prepared for the playoffs. He adds like thoughts on staggering Chris Paul and book defensive assignments for teams that we can potentially play, etc. I think that they've, I honestly think that in the last few weeks specifically, they've kind of gone into a playoff mode where they're switching a ton. Jay Crowder is starting. Um, you know, they still don't fully stagger and I think they might play with that. And I think they're doing all of the right things there. And I even think experimenting with Javon Carter right now instead of Langston Galloway just to see what they can do is the right thing to do. The one thing I can point out is to try a small ball five at some point. you got to try it in the regular season to get those guys some minutes together and just to see how it works because you might need it. 
hopefully you don't need it. Like hopefully the Suns can kind of dominate offensively in a way that they don't need to worry too much about defense in that way. But that's the one thing I would point out. Do you have anything else? Yeah, well, I think it's related to that. And be cognizant of your weaknesses. Be cognizant of the things where you're going to go into a playoff series and other teams are going to look to exploit. And with the Suns, I feel like that's other teams are going to, whether it be through switching everything or whether it be through playing a zone when the Suns are on offense, they're going to look to find ways to turn DeAndre Ayton into a decision maker because they'd much rather have the ball be in his hands than Chris Paul or Devin Booker in a half-court offense. So what's the what's what's Monty Williams' response going to be to that, essentially? Ideally, you want Ayton to play through it and prove that that's not going to work for the opposition. Ideally, he you know continues to have great games. He makes the right reads. He creates offense for himself, yada, yada. But if he can't, and if it's pretty quickly evident that he can't, you need to have a really quick trigger to get Dario in the game, or you need to decide, again, if maybe there's a small ball five option that works, and you play Tory Craig at the five, or Jay Crowder at the five, or you keep Aiton in the game, and you bring in Charge at the four to try and bail him out. There's a number of things that you can do, but when other teams try to target the Suns, that's what they're going to do. So what's your contingency plan, is my thinking. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the type of thing we're going to get really deep into at some point. Um, the other part is cleaning up the end of the game offense. And if you want go, if you haven't listened to it, go back to our last episode. And we talked about that for an extended period of time. Uh, bread said, (laughs) how excited are you guys for the new space jam movie? Follow up. Has Mike seen space jam? Yes. I've seen space. You're excited. I watched watched the good ones. I'm not going to say I'm excited. You should feel bad about it. You're excited. And I want you to feel bad about it. I like bad, bad movies can be fun. (laughs) I have fun watching bad movies. No, you're right. Because because all it takes to have fun watching a bad movie is changing your mindset. If you change your mindset going into a bad movie, you'll probably have a good time. That's yeah. Uh, and that's really all it takes for me. I'm rewatching. And for, and sometimes uh, that means having a few drinks before you watch it, which yep. I plan on doing before I watch the new Space Jam movie. And I'm, I choose to enjoy it, even if it's terrible. I am rewatching the entire Fast and Furious series with my friends right now. And yes, it's a perfect example. Died. I'm having a lot of fun. So here's what I will say. <laughs> Space Jam. Here's the thing. I have nothing against Space Jam. I am going to watch this movie. I am going to watch this movie and I will try to enjoy it. Uh, maybe it'll be really fun. Uh, and I certainly don't intend to shit on a kid's movie. That's a stupid thing to do. But what I will say is the original Space Jam was released the year before I was born. So I almost kind of feel like I was too young for it in a sense. Like I watched it as a kid, but even then I didn't really get it. And I feel like today's kids especially, are they just going to be like, yeah, look, it's a it's a kid's movie. You know, like kids yeah. don't give a shit about Looney Tunes is my thing. So I mean, LeBron James might be more famous than the cartoons in that movie to to even kids. Yeah, (laughs) I just I don't get I don't I don't quite get what the appeal is at the box office. Is it like I don't understand if this is a movie that's just like for millennials who are feeling nostalgic (laughs) is my thing. But I'm not going to shit on the movie like I'm still going to watch the movie and I bet it'll be solid. So, uh, yeah, yeah, looking forward to it coming out, I guess. (laughs) I think it's probably going to be terrible, and I'm still going to enjoy it. I mean, the um, first one was bad, like by objective yeah, movie standards. By exactly, objective exactly. movie standards, I yeah. saw LeBron in Trainwreck. I'm pretty damn sure he's a better actor than Michael Jordan. <laughs> You're probably right about that, but also it had Bill Murray, like, and, and Bill Murray was pretty great in the scenes that he was in in the original Space Jam. I don't know that this movie is going to have anyone like that. Yeah. Yeah, because like Bill Murray at that time was still probably the funniest person on the planet. So it's difficult, difficult to make up for that. 
I, w- I would like a Larry Bird cameo too. Larry Bird is pretty funny. Um, all right. Speaking of which, can we Let's just quickly talk about? Did you see Bo Burnham was cast as Larry Bird in a? Yeah. Wow. I'm very excited about that. I just the whole cast is fascinating. I thought so. I'm and if for those who don't know what we're talking about, I believe it's HBO is making a what they're calling a Showtime show, which is going to be like a drama, uh, a, a single camera show of the Showtime Lakers with people playing Magic Johnson, uh, you know, Pat Riley, Larry Bird, Mr. Bus, Jim Bus, yeah, Jim Bus, <laughs> the owner of the team, <laughs> Mr. And, Bus. Uh, I couldn't remember his first name. Uh, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna call Sarver Mr. Sarver, yeah, I we get might it. as well extend we might as well extend that uh, respect to every NBA owner. <laughs> um, yeah, which Fast and Furious are you on? Uh, we just why, why does it matter? We just watched uh, eight, so we're uh, that, we're that almost was, that was great. We're almost done. <laughs> yeah, I like how it all coalesces and they kind of you know they bring the entire ensemble cast. I don't understand why it took them like six films to figure out to like include all the characters. You know what I mean? But yeah. um. Yeah, it's 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 fun. I think they go to space in the next one. I don't know. It's I'm I, not paying yeah, attention, so. but it's a fun time. I just think it's funny that no matter what, those movies have to have a scenario where whatever battle they're having at the end of the movie, they have to arrive and leave in cars. Yep. And that's like the whole writing challenge of those movies, and I find them to be very fun. All right, Yevgeny Kogosov said, when Nader finally returns, do you see him getting minutes, or did those all already go to Craig? I think he can play with Craig. They went to Craig. Um, yeah, but I think Craig is going to earn those minutes. But I think they Craig. will probably still experiment with Nader at some point before the season is over. Yeah. All right. Eric Sun said, and this is an interesting question. Which guy is more important for playoff success, Dario or Payne? I have an answer, and I think it's actually kind of obvious, but what do you think? No, it's super Dario. What yeah. do you say? I think I think in Dario. general, big men are just more important than well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Dario is just really I'll, important to this team. Like you can see yeah. it when he plays. Here's how I'll put it: Payne is the third guard. I mean, I know that it's a weird thing where the Suns kind of stagger Chris Paul and Devin Booker, uh, but Dario's the second big, and he's really the only the only other big besides DeAndre Ayton who's playable in a playoff series. So it's going to matter a lot. I talked about this. I was, you know, the audacity of you to say that on Frank Kaminsky's birthday, by the way. <laughs> Well, he's still got COVID, I assume. Um, <laughs> so he's not even playing. But I, I talked about this when I was uh, with our friends, the uncontested, talking about that OKC game blowout. But there's like the way I picture NBA defense, and the reality of NBA defense is the guards guarding the guards, thanks to the rules, is a high wire act. They're up on those high wires, and it's very easy to fall. But the centers, the bigs, are the net underneath. And if the net is missing, it's a lot different than if the guys fall off the high wire at the top. The net is the most important part of defense. The center is the net. They're, they're the back line of defense. They're the most important part. And the reality of a guard guarding a guard is you can't guard them. <laughs> you can't. The, the rules are set up to where they're going to get by you. And the screens are allowed. Moving screens are allowed half the time, especially in the playoffs. That means that back line of defense, that the end of that is the center at the end of it. And that's going to be the most important part of defense. So bigs are very, very important still. Uh, all right. Anything else on that one? No. Nope. But shout out to Payne. He's still very important. Shout A out. A few more here. Cody Hunt, another friend of the pod. Would you want to cover the team as a full-time job? This is a question for us. This is such a fascinating question that I could talk about for 30 minutes, but people <laughs> don't even want to hear me talk about for 30 seconds probably. Yeah. 
Would you rather cover the team as a full-time job given the opportunity or are you happy doing it as a hobby? I personally, I would not work for the Suns. I'll just put that out there. I don't want to be in a job where I would be required to say nice things about Robert Sarver. Um, and I do enjoy my out, outsider status uh, covering the team in that I feel comfortable covering the people who cover the team. I feel comfortable saying bad things about Robert Sarver and I don't have to worry about that affecting my ability to get into the locker room. And I can be fully honest with my thoughts and opinions in a way because, um, well, first of all, Blue Wire allows us to do that. But like even without Blue Wire, I'd be fine still doing this. Like we, we did this without Blue Wire first. And if for some reason Blue Wire doesn't need us anymore, we'd still do it. Um, and, and, you know, they don't really censor us in any way. So credit to them. So I personally enjoy doing it as a hobby and, and, you know, I'd have to be paid a lot (laughs) of money to do it as a job because it's a hard job. And I, I, I feel for the people that are in that industry. It's very difficult. Great, great people lose their jobs all the time. And that's tough. But, um, what do you think? It's an incredibly cutthroat industry. I'm talking like kind of like media in general is not in a place. It's in such a weird place right now. And I think unless you come from inside the the journalism biz, because most of the people who cover the Suns right now, they're not like us. We're, we're just a couple of guys who just give our opinions. What we do is so easy. What the people who actually cover the team week to week are doing, the beat reporters, unless you come from a journalism background, I think so many people don't understand that those people are not like they're probably making a lot less money than you think they are. Um, and that's not to say they're necessarily like, I'm not speaking for anyone's financial situation, but just knowing the reality of the journalism biz today, it's so hard to cover teams, especially when people kind of consistently look for any way to demonize local journalists that they can. Um, and that applies mostly to politics, obviously, but also it, it, it happens in sports. Like many journalists these days just get burned out and start to believe that it's not worth it. When you talk about like what we do, which is more analysis, it's not it's not journalism at all. There aren't really examples of people who can do what we do full time for like as like a full time job. Like I guess like the guys on the radio, like Gambo, maybe is the only example in town of like a guy who like makes his money just firing off sports takes. But like podcasting is is increasing in the amount of people who listen to podcasts every year but something like that for podcasts just doesn't exist yet if it does it's at the national level it's not at the local level where you've got guys who just cover one team like we do so i'm cool with this as a hobby it has to be a hobby because i don't know if the money is there or will ever be there uh in the meantime i'm glad you guys are along for the ride and i also like the status it gives us where like people recognize that we're amateurs and they don't necessarily expect the the corporate friendly professionalism from us all the time nor do they expect us to have the technological access to be able to do all sorts of fancy things they know that we just produce content for free like our youtube channel we have hundreds of thousands of views uh, amassed on our videos on our youtube channel right now some of the stuff that i'm most proud of that we've done is on that youtube channel and because all of the footage that we use is copyrighted by the nba we haven't made a single cent off of any video on our youtube channel but I'm glad it's out there and I'm glad people have gotten legitimate enjoyment and have shared it to other Suns fans and, and kind of helped us grow in the process just because, yeah, I mean, that's that's reward enough for me. So who knows yeah. what happens in this business 10 or 20 years from now, man. But the way it's looking, mm-hmm. this is a hobby. It's a fun hobby. And, and I'm glad you guys uh, are out there to share it with us. 
I agree. For the record, I think you'd be, uh, you you do a great job if you ever did cover the team. Um, I don't know that I would, but I think you would. <laughs> you <laughs> would you get you would to write. I think you're right. I think you would get banned from the arena pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, I just you know I've I've heard stories from people who cover teams and and there's things they can't say and things they can't say. I mean there there is, and I don't ever want to do that. <laughs> I like my freedom. Um, covering the entire NBA as a whole would be kind of interesting for me, but the amount of anxiety even thinking about how to do that well gives me is too much. Like that's I already t- I spent so much time just trying to cover the Suns properly and doing the whole NBA. I, I feel for those guys. It's difficult. All uh, right. David Nash, for, uh, previous guest and friend of ours. Who is isn't? there a slight? Yeah. These are all friends of ours, really. I mean, I don't know most of their names, though. <laughs> like real names. Is there a slight disadvantage this season to finishing first or second in such an open West race? And he gives ex- a reasons why you find out your opponent late. And uh, they're potentially coming off high uh, experience winning plays in the playing tournament. Um, so, and you know, and at this point, it could be the Lakers or the Warriors, or you know, like it could be teams that have won championships in the past. It, you know, as mm, the Warriors don't really scare me, but they still have Steph Curry, so they still kind of do scare me. Um, yeah, and I think that's a fascinating question. It's hard to argue in the opposite way of that. Uh, at this and especially because I'm not sure how much home court matters when there's not necess- it's not like a full stadium full of fans making a big difference but what do you think well I think by the playoffs we're going to be almost at a full stadium don't you think I don't know I no that's idea. totally uncharted territory yeah but I feel like I we're going to no be idea. getting there like if we're already at what 5500 didn't they just increase I, to that did they I didn't see that I thought they did I thought they increased from 3,000 to 5,500. I feel like by the playoffs, they want to be almost at full capacity. Maybe with only vaccinated people. I don't know. Um, But again, that's that's speculating. I will say I think there's no disadvantage to finishing first or second so long as, oh my God, please, the Lakers do not slip into (laughs) the, the seventh seed because that would be disastrous, obviously, for the Suns if they have to face up against the Lakers. But if they're playing anyone from that tier of the Warriors or the Grizzlies or the Spurs or the Mavs, I mean, you know, if the Warriors decide to get hot for two games or the Grizzlies decide to get hot for two games and they sneak into the playoffs, let them. You know, I invite the opportunity to play a below 500 team in the first round. I think that's great. How often does a team in the Western Conference get to say that they played a below 500 team in the first round? In the past 30 years, how often has it happened? A couple times, maybe? Yeah. So... That, that would be great if that happened. You know, I think the plan yeah. is, a, is a fascinating experiment. And uh, I don't know if it's going to work out as like a thing that people consistently enjoy, but willing to give it a go and, and see what happens. The Trailblazers last year are a great example of a team who gave a lot to even make it. They had to win games at the end of the season. They had to win the play-in. And by the time they got to the playoffs... They were out of it, man. They were they were exhausted, and you could really see it. And then they got beat pretty handily. I think they won one game, and it was a 4-1 series. So maybe there's a slight advantage, too, of the teams that had to give so much to get there. Might be a little tired by the time it comes. Uh, so, you know, to an extent, that exists as well. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's difficult to, you know, it's just a really interesting scenario this year where, the Lakers could legitimately be a seventh or eighth seed at the end of the season. And that would be 
that'd be kind of a disaster for any team that has to play them in the first round. Uh, but ultimately, if you're going to make the finals, you're going to have to play them at some point. And, you know, as fun as making the second or third round is, uh, it, it matters less than, unless, you know, you got to beat the best teams. Unless the ideal happens, which is what I've talked about on Twitter a little bit. Nuggets slip up to third, Lakers slip down to fifth, and then the Clippers knock them out in the first round. Yeah, that would be that would be that would be fun as heck. There is a scenario too where maybe Anthony Davis doesn't come back, and you know you're playing the Lakers without AD or something like that. That's still not completely. I assume they think Anthony Davis is coming back, but it's an Achilles injury. Like, how sure you need to be very sure <laughs> that he's fully healthy in order to be fully confident in uh, in playing him in that scenario. Anything else on that one? No. All right, we got I put this one, one more, last. I think. Yeah, I put this one last so that people uh, could turn it off if they don't care. Uh, <laughs> they already <laughs> turned it off when we started talking about if we wanted to do this for money. Yeah. Slightly less depressed Suns fan is his name. Uh, said, what do you guys do for fun? Non-basketball related. Um, yeah, what do you do for fun, Sam? Uh, you know, I fuck around like uh, every early 20s guy i think (laughs) play video games and listen to obscure music and watch dude bro movies but um i'm a pianist i think that's maybe the other hobby that's most interesting about me that you know some people on twitter know i've played the instrument my entire life on and off at various periods um i'm fairly certain that you're a better drummer though than i am uh having played in a band for so long but yeah i still play around with it maybe i'll post a cover on twitter one day a sunny cover yeah. of that'd be, that'd be fun you know that song that circulates on reddit after it wins so much maybe i'll post a cover of that yeah um i love music i'm a huge fan of music i played in a band for a long time i still play drums and then a little bit of like guitar bass piano i play a little bit of everything but i'm, I'm the best at drums uh, of all those instruments i Loved to go to concerts and festivals and like in a normal year pre COVID, I would go to multiple music festivals and, you know, 10 to 15 concerts, uh, one or multiple a month is what I would try to do. So I'm, I'm really missing that looking forward to our, to that coming back and being able to do that, whether they be local shows, which I do enjoy, but I tend to go to a lot more touring bands and see as many bands as I could possibly see. I'm looking at right in front of me, a wall full of posters of shows that I've been to um, so I miss that a lot. Um, I also like making coffee. Uh, this is like a new <laughs> hobby. This is literally a COVID hobby for me. I bought an expensive espresso machine and it's a nice, to, it's nice to have a hobby at home where there's like a visit. They can, you can tell you're getting better at over time. And, uh, that was one <laughs> that I started and slowly I've gotten better and better and better at that. That's all I post on Instagram now. So that I can um, confirm that's all he posts on Instagram. Um, I will say, yeah. <laughs> You uh, when you're not going anywhere, Instagram is so like, it's it's tough. <laughs> Instagram's awful, man. It's it's just yeah. it's bad, bad. I used to post stuff when I go places so I could go back and watch it later. Like, yeah. oh, I remember that show, or I remember that day, and you, yeah. Twitter is bad for different reasons, but Instagram just gets your head into a funk. Uh, it's yeah. it's not not good. Um, I appreciate that you have with the music more tolerance than I do for not sharing like every your opinions about like every little band that no one cares about on your Twitter feed. <laughs> because <laughs> i like frequently just you know will post about something and it'll get like one like you know just someone that no one cares about but i'm not gonna stop doing that because i do enjoy doing it and sometimes yeah. talking about my passion for indie music with other people when when i, I do find post, someone 
I only post hot takes to get people riled up like Taylor Swift is bad. Yeah. Uh, I did when <laughs> I stopped playing in Twitter. bands. <laughs> when I stopped playing in bands, I got more into producing and I actually sort of delved into producing pop music and I spent a few years like really learning how to produce pop music. So I have all these opinions on pop music and I, and I actually like a lot of pop music. There's good pop music and there's terrible pop music. That I mean, um, that's I like basically that's basically what your Twitter takes are, right? Is Billie Eilish good and Taylor Swift bad? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and those are, and I have, I listen to a lot of obscure music, as you know, because you and I do talk about it. Yeah. Uh, but I just like, yeah, I, I guess I have more restraint <laughs> in sharing those opinions online. Um, all right, that's enough about us. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this one. I know it was a long one. If you stuck around to this end, I assume that you actually do like us and our personalities, so I appreciate that. Uh, we'll be back maybe even after there's really interesting games this week so maybe even after that back-to-back against Utah and the Clippers because that's a fascinating back-to-back and both games nationally televised so that's a huge huge week for the Suns thanks for listening we'll be back at least by next week deal's a deal you won my car and you earn my respect Keep your car. Your respect is good enough for me. Cousin, sorry about your car. Yours was too slow for a Toronto anyway. You're in Paula? Are you serious? Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.